Denny Long is away, but Dr. David Hilden is in. I'm Steve Thompson holding down the fort. Phone lines are open. It is an open phone show. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. It is 81807. Dr. Hilden is in. It's good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while, Steve. Thanks for being here in, in place of Denny. I think he probably has some well-deserved time off or maybe he's on assignments. Well, he is on a good neighbor tour yeah, he's on a and he's doing tour. well and he'll return next Saturday. All right. Well, Sunday. it's always good to have you here with us on, on our uh, on our show. We're going to help uh, an open line show, so we'll take whatever questions people have. Uh, last week we did an open line show and it, and and it, we never get to everybody's show or everybody's call, and uh, so we hope to get to a lot more today. It was a busy show last week. Next week, just to to give a little teaser, we're going to talk about oral health in kids, and I and I don't know anything about this. So what we're going to what we're going to do is we're going to talk about pediatric dentistry issues. And so I we have an expert at HCMC, um, Dr. Eileen Crespo, is going to be on the show next week to talk about it. But just out of coincidence, I opened up the Star Tribune today, and there's a uh, right on the front page of the Metro section is a whole article about the importance of pediatric dental health and about how there's been a big push to do something with that. And so it's timely that we're going to be doing a show next week about the importance of children's and pediatric uh, dental um, care. So that you'll want to tune in um, next week for that show. But today, it's anything and everything you got. All right, 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. But before we go to the calls... Uh, we wanted to talk uh, cold and flu season is here. There's been a wicked cold going around the CCO. I'm finally getting over it. I don't know where I caught it. But I did a good scrub down of the studio today with Clorox wipes. This place looks great, well, Steve. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I work pretty hard at it this morning. Finally, it got to the point where it's like, this thing needs a good yeah. wipe down. But – um, you've heard cases of flu already. Flu already. Yeah, it is cold and flu season. And and first to your point about wiping down your environment, this studio, like everywhere you are, is a big fomite center of fomites. And a fomite is, in medical terms, it's something that you touch that somebody else touched that has germs on it. So the typical thing is a keyboard, a doorknob, um, a phone, um, things like that. And so in your daily life, that's how most of us get colds. It's not because what your friend or neighbor sneezed directly on you. Although if they do that, maybe you need new friends. But it's not usually people sneezing right on you. It's sneezing and coughing into your hand, um, then touching a doorknob, and then the virus, cold viruses can live on doorknobs and keyboards and all that for hours. And then somebody else touches it, rubs their nose, they get a cold. So that's your common cold, and I agree with you. Um, I think there's a little bit of that going on. Um, I, I, too, had a cold a few weeks ago, and it... It slows you down a lot, but maybe doesn't knock you out. But, but even now, we're starting to see flu. So the state of Wisconsin's already reporting, I think I heard, 19 cases of influenza already. That's early. That's, that'd be very early. Um, it's not unheard of, but we are entering flu season. So um, if you haven't got your flu shit yet, it's definitely not too soon because we're already seeing influenza in our neighbor um, in Wisconsin. And I don't know the stats for Minnesota yet, but we're going to start seeing cases anytime now. Yeah, and they're available all over town. All over the I mean, place. there are clinics everywhere yep. that do yep. this sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. Go to your clinic or go to a drugstore or some churches do it. If you live in a senior building, lots of times they have uh, um, flu shots right there. So if you hear about a flu shot clinic or someone coming near you, it's a great time to get it. It just takes a second 
It doesn't hurt. Well, it's no more just a teeny little needle. Um, we don't have that misty stuff anymore, at least not for uh, not this year. But it's just a little shot and uh, takes just a second. It is safe. People often ask me that. Well, it's not. It doesn't prevent all flu. Well, right. Nothing's perfect, <laughs> but it it doesn't. It's not perfect, but it's very very good. And we shouldn't let perfect be the enemy of the very good. So uh, just um, get your flu shot. That's that's uh, almost everybody should be getting one. There's very few people who shouldn't be getting one, and it's those who have a true true allergy maybe shouldn't be. But other than that, everybody should get it. Pregnant women even. Uh, what about those people though that say? Well, I had the flu shot one year, and I've never been sicker, so exactly. I don't get a flu shot. You know, they make all these correlations between I got the flu shot and I got sick and all of that. Yeah, I hear that all the yeah. time. Or the opposite. I've never got a flu shot, and I never got the flu. Yeah. It's it, The opposite is exactly true. The, those are just case, case um, coincidences. You maybe did get a flu shot and got real sick that year of a different virus. That can still happen. There's... 50 or 60 or a zillion um, um, viruses out there, you got one of them. Um, but you didn't get influenza, um, probably, if you got the flu shot. And the converse is also true. Well, I, I'm 50 years old. I've never had a flu shot, and, and I've never got the flu. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, it, the one time – I've also never totaled my car, but I still get car insurance because right. <laughs> it could still happen to you. So it's still a really good idea. You should get your flu shot. All right, to the phone lines Let's do we it. go. Let's start with Bill. Bill, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Dr. Hogan. I've talked to you numerous times. I'm uh, 58 years old and uh, diabetic. And uh, years ago, I had a rollover car accident, broke my neck. Um, because of the car accident, I started taking opiates. I got off the opiates. Now I'm taking tramadol to... Um, keep my neck from being so sore and my finger pain and I'm also on Invokana for my diabetes. Now the problem I'm running into that now is I get frequent bouts of constipation and not to gross anybody out but there is times where I've actually had to physically go in with my fingers and try to initiate the uh, first part of my bowel movement just to dig it out so I can so I can go and it's very painful um, I, I don't know what to do about it. I've tried prunes. I, I've tried uh, over-the-counter medications. Nothing seems to work. Right. Give me any advice. Right. Well, thanks, Bill. Um, the the most of the pain medications that we prescribe are constipating. The ones that are opiates are for sure constipating. Everybody gets constipated with um, things like oxycodone, hydrocodone, fentanyl, all those big, scary-sounding narcotics. They all cause constipation. So what we try, and even tramadol. So what we try to do is prevent it. The best thing to do is not not get to that situation that required those measures that you had to take in the first place. So you should take a daily, every day, some something to keep your bowels moving, whether or not that day you're having any constipation. So in other words, you want to get um, kind of regulate yourself to a daily bowel movement. Um, you can use something gentle that's available over the counter, like senna. Senna's um, a plant-based uh, uh, laxative. You can try something like Miralax, which is polyethylene glycol, which sounds terrible, but it's 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 safe. You can take a teaspoon of that every day and just put it in some juice or coffee or tea or even water and drink that and try to prevent the situation where you can't go at all. If if you're if anybody out there is having two or three days without a bowel movement, you should 
be doing something to um, to get that moving. You can take suppositories. There's enemas. There's um, a number of other things that you can try. But my main message is prevent it in the first place. All right, let's go to the phones again. Jim in St. Paul. Jim, you're on the air. Good morning. Yes, this morning about 2 a.m., my heart started beating <clears throat> faster for about five minutes, and then it went back to about a normal beating rate. And then at 4.30, all of a sudden, I woke up and I had a bad pain in the back of my left leg like a charley horse, and it's gone now. Are these two related at all? I'm not sure, Jim. Have you ever had either one of them before? Yeah. At the racing heartbeat you've had? Yeah. And do you know what it's from? Is it from atrial fibrillation or I, SV? I don't really know. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if they're related, but I doubt it. Okay. I, I can't see why the leg – I think it is a leg cramping um, probably, unless you – Unless your heart rate was going so fast for so long that you weren't getting enough oxygen to your legs, I don't know why they would do that. So I don't think they're related, but of course I, I could be wrong. If I were you, I'd look into the racing heartbeat, though, because it could be atrial fibrillation. It could be something called supraventricular tachycardia, both of which are not in and of themselves that very moment dangerous, but do have a lot of other um, considerations uh, um, for you. Um, so you might want to – I think I would I would go have those looked at to see why you have that. doesn't sound like an emergency, and no, I don't think it's related to your leg. Um, but uh, go see a doctor about the heart thing. That's what I would recommend, Jim. It is Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hilden in. I'm Steve Thompson sitting in for Denny Long. It is an open line show, 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. Let's go to James in Hodgson. James, you're on the air with the doctor. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had this difficulty of breath, uh, shortness of breath in June it started. And then uh, they found uh, blood clots in my lungs, so they put me on Eliquist. And like after 30 days, you know, that should, I, I could have gotten off. And the doctor told me that I could go off, but my, my, and I still stayed on, you know, half a dose. And my shortness of breath is coming back. And they did all kinds of tests. My blood is normal and, and my heart is normal and, and everything. So I can't figure out what's going on. Yeah, James, um, they told you to take blood thinners after you had blood clots in your lungs. didn't? And they, am I correct in hearing that they told you to take them just for a month? Yeah, three the months. Doctor, the initial doctor told me I'd have to take that the rest of my life or I would die. Yeah, so so the three months sounds better. I thought I had first heard a month, yeah, and that is in, yeah. inadequate. Yes, so what you had was called pulmonary emboli, or pulmonary embolism is the um, – embolus is the, the singular. Blood clots in your lungs can be very, very dangerous, and they can be relatively mild. It, so what happens usually, James, and to anybody else who's, got, who's had this, blood clots often form or most commonly form in the big veins of your legs. They start in your legs. And what happens is that your legs might swell up, you might have a swollen leg, or you might not even know you had it. And a little bit of it breaks off, just a little bit. Sometimes it's the size of a pea only, and it works its way up your vein, up your big inferior vena cava, which is the biggest vein in your body, all the way up from your leg, through your belly, up to the right side of your heart. When that little blood clot has worked its way up the lazy river of your vein into your right heart, then your heart does a big, strong beat, and the next stop is your lungs. So that little, that little blood clot gets shot like a rocket from the right side of your brains to your lungs. 
So if it's a little teeny blood clot, smaller than a pea even, it might go way out to the outsides of your lungs and not be such a big deal because the blood vessels in your lungs get smaller and smaller and smaller as they go, just like the branches of a tree. So if it's a little thing, it might make it way out to the outside of your lungs and not be a big problem. If it's a big blood clot, it might get stuck in the big pulmonary arteries in your lungs and can be life-threatening. So what we do is we have people take blood thinners for at least three months, maybe six months, maybe lifetime. It all gets down to your own individual risks. If you have cancer, if you are an immobile person, if you're not moving much, we often have, if it's your second one, if you've had two lung blood clots, you should be on blood thinners forever. So for you, James, I'm a little worried. If you are having more shortness of breath, I'm a little worried that you have more blood clots. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that you go be seen. If it's, if it's really bad, if you're really having trouble breathing, you should go be seen today. You should go to an emergency department. If you're doing okay, though, um, and, you're, and it doesn't, it's not bothering you too much, you're just kind of wondering, you could go in later, but I would go in this week. Uh, and, and you probably, probably need to be on those blood thinners uh, for longer, maybe even your whole life. It's not clear um, to doctors how long you should be on blood thinners when you have blood clots in your lungs. It's just not clear. But it's at least three months, maybe six, and many doctors recommend lifetime. I would have, I would have it be seen, um, James. Uh, if you're having more recurrent shortness of breath, it's at least possible. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong on all this, but it's at least possible that you're having more blood clots and you should have that be seen. And I wouldn't wait too long. And if you're, if you're a, a, an adult, particularly an older adult who's having new shortness of breath, you should have that be seen generally in an urgent care and an emergency department situation. All right, we've got more Healthy Matters presented by HCMC. Of course, Dr. David Hilden in studio today. It is an open phone show. The number is 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. A quick break. We'll have more in a moment. It is Healthy Matters brought to you by Hennepin County Medical Center. Dr. David Hilden in studio. It is an open line show today. Text line 81807-81807, phone line 651-989-9226. Let's go to the text line. I'll a do lot a few, there. There's a lot here. I'll try to do a couple here. This one says, uh, dermatitis herpetiformis and celiac disease. Will there ever be a diagnostic test when one is already on a gluten-free diet? That's a great question that this person's asking. The tests that we do for celiac disease, which is uh, gluten sensitivity, generally require you to be on gluten so that we can see what your intestines look like. And and so this texter is right on the money on that. People who have potentially have celiac disease, it's a drag. You have to take, you have to eat gluten, which is the thing you want to avoid, so we can do the test. So uh, that that's um, what this texter is getting at. And so the biopsy does require you to be on gluten. But there is a test called the tissue transglutaminase that you should be doing. It's a blood test. And that one, um, uh, again, though, we want you to be on gluten while you're doing that. But at least it's only a blood test. A quick follow-up to that. You, you see gluten-free everywhere. Mm-hmm. How many people are really impacted and how many people just think they're... That's the million-dollar yeah. question, Stephen. I... I I think we've gone way overboard with gluten in there's whole aisles in the grocery store of gluten-free right. products. So there is a real disease called celiac disease. It is a the other word is gluten um entero, gluten sensitive enteropathy which you you literally have destruction of your intestinal walls due to gluten. 
These are not as common as people think. However, we are diagnosing it more and more. So I think it's on the rise. Celiac disease is on the rise. It's a real thing. Those people can't have gluten. But there's a probably 10 times as many people who don't have celiac disease who have some either perceived or real sensitivity to gluten. I think a lot of it might be a little bit perceived. Um, you know, it, that, it, that you don't rise to the level of a true gluten problem. That being said, I know a lot of people who, when they simply cut out gluten from their diet, feel a little bit better. And so who am I to say? So there's probably a spectrum and a range, but, it, but celiac disease and true gluten enteropathy is not as common as you might think by all the gluten-free stuff you see. So that's the story of gluten. I think the problem with our diet is, whether it's gluten or not, is the endless processing and endless additives that we put to food to make them last longer, to preserve them. Um, We add stuff to food when we package it, and we take things out of food when we package it, and um, uh, the nutrients. And so I think the extensive processing is is where I really have a problem. Um, Should I do another text here? Sure. Let's see. Um, I have had my meds adjust. Wait, I'm missing that one. Oh, here. I am 56 years old, and I'm on thyroid meds for hypothyroidism. And I'm still extremely tired, gaining weight even though I exercise and eat healthy. I've had my meds adjusted a few times, but still remain tired. Low energy and weight gain with a tummy I've never had before. Any suggestions? So this person with low thyroid, um, you've, you're doing the right thing by having your levels checked because thyroid disease, if it's too low, leads to exactly what this person's talking about. Low energy, weight gain, and the like. However, it's probably not the whole story. If your thyroid is normal and you, you've been on a stable dose, and meaning your, your thyroid's normal because you've been taking your medicines for a month or two or three or longer, and, and um, there's probably something else. It is probably deconditioning. Maybe it's anemia. Maybe you're um, vitamin D deficient, for instance. There's a lot of other causes. The message being if your thyroid levels are normal after you've been taking your medications, and you're still having symptoms, it's probably not your thyroid anymore. You might want to see an endocrinologist for that texture. All right. Uh, phone lines, uh, 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. That is 81807. Let's go to the phone lines again. Let's bring in Jim in Arlington. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I Jim. Question about cancer. I have a brother-in-law that's been fighting it for 10 years, they finally sent him home, said there was nothing they could do for him. I have a good friend from college who was in Vietnam, Agent Orange. He has cancer, and they have sent him home, said nothing they could do for him. My question is, how close are they to curing cancer? Well, that's a, that's a big question, Jim. Um, and curing is a word that we use sparingly in cancers. Um, there are some cancers that you can potentially cure. I would put testicular cancer in that group. You can just about cure that. A young men who get a testicular cancer and you do a surgery and it's basically cured. You can just about cure colon cancer. If you catch it early, you can do a little surgery, you take it out and you can be done with it. But I use those terms kind of you know, uh, hesitantly. We talk more about remission. And the cancers, um, it, how close are we to curing cancer? Well, it all depends on which kind you're talking about. There are very, very aggressive cancers like some leukemias, lymphomas, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer. Those we're a long ways away from. They're very lung cancer. Those are ones that are often fatal. Then there are other kinds of cancers that just kind of 
go along over years or decades, like prostate cancer, um, some of the breast cancers, uh, some of the other types of leukemias just kind of, and, and lymphomas just kind of smolder along for decades. So they're in a totally different class. So I guess it's a question we can't answer with one answer. What I would say about cancer treatments is that they are way better, way better than what they were even when I was in med school 20 years ago. There are so many good treatments for um, cancers now. So um, there's, there is hope. And the last thing I would say is that I think that we're getting more and more and more into genetic testing. So cancer treatments will be tailored to your genetic type, and that is probably the future of cancer treatments. And so I think there's um, lots of reason for optimism, but it's still still a rough one right now, Jim. Um, under a minute to go, real quick uh, break coming up for the news at 8 o'clock. Then we'll have more calls and texts on the open line show. But uh, early screening. Early screening cancers. matters for many of the cancers, particularly breast cancer, colon cancer, um, oh, uh um, cancer of the cervix for women, and to possibly prostate cancer. So get your testing early, and then um, treatment and cures are much more possible. We have more Healthy Matters presented by Hennepin County Medical Center. It is an open line show. Dr. David Hilden in studio today. We have a break for the news at 8. More calls and more texts coming up on the CCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Thanks so much for joining us. Denny Long is away. He'll be back next week on the program. Dr. David Hilden in. It is an open line show, and we have full phone lines, and the text lines are very busy, and we'll be going there in a moment. We sure will, Steve. Thanks lots. Good to see you here. Good to have everybody with us listening wherever you may be. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, a couple of housekeeping items. I do want to remind people about the blog. It's myhealthymatters.org. Mainly if you're missing previous shows, you want to listen to the podcast, it's so easy to do. It's self-explanatory. You can get to them two ways. You can you can get to the podcast either at myhealthymatters.org. For instance, maybe you want to hear the show too, uh, that we did a couple of weeks ago about acupuncture. Just go to myhealthymatters.org. You could also go directly to wcco.com. And you can get them straight off the, the station's website. So two ways to do that. Second thing I want to talk about, the teddy bear clinic. That sounds like a funny one. It makes me smile just to say it. But the, the big teddy bear clinic is coming up this next Saturday, six days from now, Saturday, September 30th. It's 8 to 11 a.m. at the HCMC's emergency department. And you're probably thinking, what the heck is that? Well, this is your chance to bring your kids or your grandkids to literally the Upper Midwest Premier Emergency Department. And to, it's the purpose is to get your kids kind of used to going into the doctor. So have your kid or your grandkid um, bring a teddy bear or their other favorite stuffed animal. It's a free clinic to help them feel comfortable with a visit to the doctor or the hospital. So they stitch um, loose seams. They'll listen to heartbeats. They'll splint broken limbs. They'll tour an ambulance, which is super cool, and a lot more. They'll be free bicycle helmets for all kids um, while supplies last. We, we got a bunch of them. So come get a free bike helmet. It's really fun for the kids. It's really informative for the adults. That's this Saturday at HCMC's Emergency Department, Saturday, September 30th from 8 to 11 a.m. All right, to the phone lines we go. By the way, the number is 651-989-9226. You can text 81807. That's 81807. I bet you spend a lot of time on your bike. I do. And, and I bike. Uh, I and, do. And I have a helmet. 
the, you know, the helmet. Yeah, I, that's a I big did, deal. I did a, a a thing about bike helmets on the blog. You should you should check this one out. There's a there's a thing about um about uh, bike helmet safety on myhealthymatters.org just a few weeks ago. And um, I have a friend who's a doctor at the hospital who bikes everywhere, and he wiped out on his bike once. Oh. And he's, he was sliding across the pavement as his head was hitting the concrete, and he said, all I could think to myself was, at this very moment, as I'm falling off my bike, my helmet is saving me right now, <laughs> as his wow. head was bouncing off the pavement. And sure enough, he... Walked away and he's doing fine and he's actually my own personal physician and he that's a great story. Um, a, a bike helmet can literally save your life even if you're going just a little bit. You don't you're not going fast. You don't even have to be going fast. You can just hit a rock in the road and fall down and your your head bouncing off the pavement is not good for you. Wear a bike helmet and come get one for your kids this Saturday. Yeah, great deal. Let's go to Zane in Stillwater. Zane, you're on Healthy Matters. Good morning. Um. Hi, Zane. Had, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I had radiation treatment back in May for uh, cancer uh, around the head area. And um, about two months ago, I developed uh, some rough bumps on my tongue uh, and kind of a black, dark gray streak down the middle of my tongue. Uh, originally, they uh, said it was thrush. Um, Prescribed nystatin. I went through a couple of prescriptions of that. Couldn't, couldn't seem to shake. Couldn't seem to shake it. And uh, then another doctor told me that they thought it was just black hairy tongue and just to brush the tongue. Um, my question is, what is your thoughts and how contagious is it? Yeah, it doesn't sound contagious, Zane. So in case some listeners didn't quite catch that, Zane's having some tongue troubles following radiation th- treatment. Thrush. One of the things you mentioned is usually a whitish, cheesy kind of loose crud that's on your tongue and your mouth, and it washes away um, fairly easily um, if you just uh, brush it, but it comes back. That is what the Nystatin's for. It doesn't honestly sound what, what, like what you had, although thrush is common after radiation. Uh, more likely you have just a radiation stomatitis, which is an inflammation um, of, of the, the, the delicate tissues of your tongue and your, and your, uh, um, your cheeks and the like. I would see an ear, nose, throat doctor for that, though. Um, you might talk to your radiation oncologist, the person who did the radiation, to see what they recommend. But there are a number of topical um, treatments that you can do for stomatitis, including some kind of um, uh, herbal things that I've recently heard about that tend to work for stomatitis. I don't know what you have exactly. I don't even know if it's related to your radiation. Um, but any kind of tongue changes I would have looked at by an ENT doctor. It could be thrush. It could be radiation stomatitis. Those would be the two things that are at the top of my list. It could be a, a type of cancer. But um, it does not sound to me like it's contagious. But I could be wrong. But it doesn't sound like it to get to your specific question. All right. To the phone lines we go again. Craig and Savage. Craig, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm 57 years old, relatively good health. I have a pilonidal cyst that I've had at the base of my spine for about 20 years and wondering if Dr. Hilden has any insights on how to remedy that situation. Yeah, it's a good question. A pilonidal cyst for people listening is usually down by the base of your spine, sort of around your, your backside area there. Um, they're not infectious, but they can they tend to not want to go away. And so uh, usually what we do is have either a dermatologist, if it's a little teeny thing, or a surgeon cut it out. 
that's what you generally do is they can kind of surgically excise the whole thing. If it's not bothering you um, and it's just kind of in an out-of-the-way place around your tailbone, you can just leave it and you've had it for decades. So that's one possibility. But if they hurt, which sometimes happens, if and they can get secondarily infected and then it would be really inflamed and red and sore and hurts and 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 might even be draining some fluid, then you should have a surgeon take a look at that. They can just cut them out. Um, it sounds minor, but um, it's a little minor surgical procedure. That's what I would probably recommend. Go to a general surgeon, um, Craig, for that. All right, let's go to Sandy and Lionel Lakes. Sandy, you're on Healthy Matters. Good morning. Good morning. I am calling regarding my daughter. She is experiencing um, severe swollen legs and feet, joint pain, fatigue, nausea, um, just overall tiredness. And the doctors cannot find what's wrong with her. And 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 Sandy, you say it's her legs are swelling too. Her le- she can't wear shoes. Both feet, so or just one. Both feet. Ah, and and it, did did this come on over a period of just a little while, or was it a was it sudden or over months? Well, this is she's been experiencing this for um, two months right now, and um, I think I think it gradually came on, but it. It just uh, escalated probably in June or July, and she's at the point now where she is not able to wear shoes mm. at all. Yeah. So, and and how old is your daughter roughly? Twenty one. <laughs> okay. So the things that could happen in young adults um, that have swelling in the legs, um, it could be thyroid. Um, your th- when you have an underactive thyroid, it it can lead to swelling. I would bet she's probably had that checked. Um, I always have to say it could be pregnancy, but I won't even go anywhere further with that. But there can be um, um, blood clots, but that usually wouldn't be on both legs. I would That's usually one or the other, a blood clot in the leg. Um, it could be some other kind of nutritional deficiency. You know, maybe she's not getting enough protein. It could be some vitamin sort of things that lead to that. Um, it would seem unlikely that your doctors would be unable to determine if it were something more serious. In other words, if, um, cancers or those kinds of things, which I, I don't think it is, but you know, they can check that with some blood tests. But I think a, a, a general physical with complete blood counts, electrolytes, kidney function would be important. Thyroid function would be very important. Maybe a few vitamin checks, maybe B12 and um, vitamin D might be somewhere to go with that. Those would be things to do. And if you're not sure still after all that, maybe an ultrasound of the legs to see if there's any kind of vascular problems in there. I would do things probably in that order. And um, and uh, I think that's probably what I would do next. It doesn't sound too serious at this point, but those would be the things I'd start with. All right, quick break. We have the final segment of Healthy Matters brought to you by Hennepin County Medical Center. Dr. David Hilden in studio this morning here on CCO. Welcome back. It is Healthy Matters presented by Hennepin County Medical Center. Dr. David Hilden in studio. We've had an open line show today. We've had a ton of texts, a lot of great calls on the program today. Let's take a few more texts. I'll try to be brief so these won't be thorough answers, but there's so many of them. Here's one that says, Will you address how to prevent diverticulitis and acid reflux? Reflux Are the two related? Can they result in a bad taste in the mouth? No, they're not usually related. Diverticulitis is an inflammation of little pouches in your large intestine. Acid reflux is acid way up in your stomach. They're probably not related. Acid reflux can definitely result in a bad taste in your mouth. 
Um, so if you're having bad, bad acid problems, you can take an over-the-counter antacid. If it persists, go see uh, your doctor. Here's another one that says, good morning. Thanks for taking my text. Have lost about 40 pounds in the past year without trying hard. Have had issues lately with very dry mouth, insatiable thirst, drinking up to 16 glass liquids a day, which goes right through me quickly. Could the symptoms be connected? Any ideas? Um, you sound that the first thing that came to my mind for weight loss and a lot of thirst, that's diabetes until proven otherwise. If you're drinking a lot, you're really, really, really thirsty and you're losing weight, your blood sugars might be very high. Look at that first. Second thing, any unexplained weight loss, particularly if you're an older adult, is um, you must rule out cancer. If you are um, losing weight and you're not trying, especially if you've lost 40 pounds. So go get some blood tests done, get checked for diabetes, get checked for some basic cancers, get checked for your thyroid. Um, here's another text that says, I'm on simvastatin and metformin for 10 plus years, have developed backside aches. Should I be concerned? Possibly. Obsidvastatin, like all the statins, can cause muscle aches and pains. You should have that checked out if you're having um, pains. You can often find a different cholesterol medicine that might make those go away. So, yes, I would have um, – I don't think I would be concerned, but I would be concerned – seriously concerned, but I'd be concerned enough to go have that looked at. Let's see. Um, can I do one more? Do I have time for another one here, Steve? Sure. All right. Any concerns if my heart rate is in the high 30s at night and 120s in the morning? I'm on metropolol 100 per day, and I'm on diltiazem. I have a history of AFib and feel like I'm back in it. This texter, yes, you should have that looked at. Heart rate of 30s is too low. Heart rate of 120s is too high. Your metoprolol and your diltiazem are not working. You're probably um, you're having some heart rhythm problems, and yes, you should have that looked at. All right, to the phones, probably time for one more call. Uh, Ken in Brooklyn Park, you're on the air. Uh, yes. Um, I had... Uh... My mother died of colon cancer, and I have uh, ulcerated colitis. Uh, it, it, it flares up, not all the time, but it does flare up. And uh, the one doctor at one time says I should try to take a uh, you know, 10 milligram aspirin or whatever. And I went like, I mentioned, I said, well, would that be <laughs> not good or bad? Or uh, And I would, uh, you know, and anybody's out there, I've had dozens of uh, colonoscopies every two years. Okay. So you're wondering about taking aspirin. Is that that's correct, Ken? Yes. Yeah. So there is some evidence that aspirin might be beneficial in reducing the risk of colon cancer. Um, you did. You said what I needed you to say there, though. Someone with a family history of colon cancer and your mother, and you have ulcer, ulcerative colitis, you've got to be getting colonoscopies and doing it often. Um, the kind of general message to listeners are that both inflammatory bowel disease, like ulcerative colitis, that's a risk factor for colon cancer, and a family history of someone who had colon cancer, like your mother, that's another risk. So you have a double reason to get frequent colonoscopies. The aspirin story is the jury's out on that. There is some evidence, some suggestion that it might be helpful. So I think it's not a bad idea. 10 milligrams is not the dose of aspirin. It's probably 81. That's a baby aspirin. Um, I don't. If you don't have a reason not to take aspirin, in other words, you don't have bleeding in your stomach or you're not allergic to it, if you don't have a reason not to take it, it sounds reasonable to me that you might take a baby aspirin every day. Um, there's no proof really for sure that it's going to prevent colon cancer, and that's uh, too strong of a statement, but it might slightly reduce your risk of colon cancer. You do have to take it every day 
for like years, though. You can't take it for a few months and have it do anything. You have to take a baby aspirin every day for about 10 years. And then there's a little evidence that you might reduce your risk a little bit. I don't think it would hurt as long as you don't have some other contraindication, some reason why you can't take it. Give it a try. All right. As we close in on the end of September and uh, get into early October, this is prime time. We brought it up at the top of the program. Flu shots. Flu shot time. I'm going to give I, – I haven't had mine yet because I've been so busy, but the, my hospital, it's a requirement of working at HCMC. And so I – and plus it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to get mine probably tomorrow. Everybody else, you should be doing it this week, next week. You can get it all the way through next April, but the, the biggest – now we're starting to see influenza – and so you should get it now. It takes a couple of weeks for your immune system to get fired up. And so um, it's definitely not too early. In fact, with 19 cases of flu reported by the state of Wisconsin just this week, it's time. So you should get your flu shot now. Um, don't delay. And uh, like I said earlier at the top of the show, it's not perfect, but it will reduce your chances of getting influenza. It will likely make influenza less serious if you do get it. And no, you can't get influenza from the shot. It is not physiologically possible. You need to believe the science. So go ahead, get your flu shot. There was a texter that talked about Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a real thing. If you've had that, that I didn't get to that text, but if you've had that condition or if you have allergies, then talk to your doctor before getting the flu shot. But everybody else, go ahead and get it. All right, uh, the blog, the website. Yeah, it's myhealthymatters.org. I encourage you to go there, listen to the podcast. You can always call us if you need a doctor or an appointment at 612-873-6963. And be sure to tune in next week when we talk about um, kids and dental health and the importance of dental health on, on kids' development. Another great show, Healthy Matters, brought to you by Hennepin County Medical Center with Dr. David Hilton here on CCO.